Welcome to TalkEerie.com's Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast. Every day, we tackle the biggest issues that the Erie, PA region faces. Stay informed and involved as we advance the narrative of Erie. Now, here's Joel Natale. If you know a little bit about me, I've been a media watcher since I was a wee little kid. And one of the guys I looked up uh, to, and he's really not that much older than me, but, uh, you know, through the years as he's developed his career, is Lou Baxter from Jet TV, Fox 66, and YourEerie.com. He recently retired, but he's here in the studio to share some of his stories. Lou, thank you for coming on the show. Hey, it's glad to be here. Uh, just uh, happy to have been invited. And, uh, uh, talk about the business a little bit and see if anyone has any interest in that. But uh, yeah. I've, uh, you know, I've followed you and, and your career and uh, especially your your web posting. Yeah, remember those? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I miss them. Yeah, I, 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 I did it until it started getting a little weird of like, okay, I've got too many conflicts of interest because <laughs> I was trying to get back into the business. But yeah, I used to run a media blog called Press and Tower and it was a lot of fun. I did 500 posts. It was great. Yeah, yeah. Just, it was just fun to read. Just watching kind of being a media watcher but people have been watching you literally you have generations of folks that have watched your work product oh yeah yeah, I, yeah. does that ever make you feel like well i was out doing a golden apple last week and the yeah. principal there uh said you know uh I, i've watched you since i was a little kid he yes. said i i grew up in union city and uh, that's where we were and he says, I remember you way back. And I yeah. said, well, I was there way back. So, Well, let's start with that. Let's start going way back. When did you get the bug of saying, hey, this might be something I want to do, which is broadcast? Oh, this is a, this is a great story. I, I grew up on the east side over near Wilson uh, Junior High School. And, of course, like everybody in the 60s, I listened to Jet Radio. 1400 and all the jet good guys mm -hmm. and uh, when they used to do their uh, weather forecast at the end of the weather forecast they would say right now outside the jet picture window it's 72 degrees and as an eighth grader I thought picture window wonder if there really is a picture window so I drove my bicycle down to 16th and ash <laughs> I leaned it against the building I stood wow. up on the seat and I looked in the picture window, and sure enough, that was the studio. Wow. And there was the one and only Johnny Holiday in shorts and a T-shirt playing records. <laughs> that's amazing. And I'm thinking, that's great. Wow. I want to do that. Yeah. And that's where, that's really where it all began. It, it began, you know, putting that transistor radio under my pillow at night and listening to the radio and, and those jocks and... Uh, and then seeing that studio, my eyes just lit up. And mm. now what happened after that is my parents had an insurance man who used to be a news guy at Jet Radio and was still doing weekends at the time, Jim Renshaw. Oh, my. And Jim Renshaw came to the house for an insurance uh, meeting with my parents, and he happened to mention that he worked at Jet Radio. And I went, wow. I said, what's the chances of uh, coming down and you showing me around? And he said, sure, come down on the weekends. Well, that began what literally was two years of me hanging out at Jet Radio on the weekends, wow. watching all those legends do their show. You know, Ronnie G and, uh, you know, Randy Michaels. I wasn't there early in the morning for Frank Martin, right. but uh, back in the day, even Cliff Morrison was doing uh, some radio back then. Was Joey on with you uh, then? Joey wasn't there at the okay, time. Yeah. So, 
Um, so I, I kind of did that, and he, he let me hang around the newsroom. He had me uh, write some news copy, nice. and then I'd go in the production room, and I'd uh, you know track a little bit, and he'd give me some pointers. And, mm. and uh, after a couple of years of that, um, I happened to hear that uh, WWYN Radio uh, was looking for somebody and part-time. And I was a 17-year-old senior at Academy High School, and I just uh, got the courage up to apply. And I apparently I had the qualification Art Arcalian was looking for. That was I would work for minimum wage. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> well, did you do like any theater or any like school announcements at Academy or any of that stuff? I did uh, school announcements. Okay, yeah. yeah. And that was before there was any uh, video announcements. Right. This was yes. over the intercom system. This is not King TV. <laughs> this is over the intercom with the old-fashioned microphone. Exactly. Yeah. So. Wow. Uh, Anyhow, so I started there, and I was a board op for a little while, and then I transitioned that summer, the summer of 73, into uh, what were then called Pepsi car reports. It was used to be Kohler car reports, but when you have a 17-year-old doing them, <laughs> they find a new sponsor. That's amazing. And I would uh, get on this old-fashioned walkie-talkie deal that pre predated cell phones, and I could go out to Presque Isle and dial up the station, and I could do a live report from Presque Isle on this walkie-talkie. Um, saying, hi, I'm here at Beach 6. There's lots going on. The water's great. Temperature 72 degrees. Come on out to Beach 6. And then I'd get in the car, and I'd run over to the South Pier. And next hour, I'd do a report on the fishing at South Pier. And then I'd get in the car, and I'd go to Waldemere. You know? And that's that was my Saturdays and Sundays, the summer of 73. That, you know, that sounds like uh, Route uh, 24 well, exactly. all over again. That's Just... where it all began. <laughs> that's you know? incredible. <laughs> Wow, that is amazing. So you did go to Edinburgh at some point, yeah. right? Yeah. Actually, I worked uh, through the summer, uh -huh. and then I actually told them, uh, you know, I'm going to take a little time off. I'm going to start school at Edinburgh, and uh, I want to see how this first semester goes. So uh, I went to school only until about Christmas time, and then I thought, well, that first semester went pretty well. So I went back again part-time at uh, Wynn Radio, and things were changing then. Mm -hmm. uh, they were doing more music. Uh, Randy Michaels was now part of the Wynn staff uh, back then, and and so uh, we, then Don Kelly came aboard after Artie left, and, and he changed some things uh, on the FM side. We used to have WWFM, right. and then he changed it to WLVU. It oh, became yeah. that beautiful music. Uh, the, at one point, was the the highest rated beautiful music station yeah. in the country. That's what uh, that's what I remember. <laughs> it's incredible. I didn't do a lot with them. I was sure. uh, pretty much on the AM side, but uh, yeah, I stayed there. And then uh, d during my Edinburgh years, uh, we had a, a studio of WQLN at Edinburgh. That's interesting. When WQLN radio started, they couldn't program the whole day. So what they did is they created satellite studios. They had huh. one at Mercyhurst, they had one at Edinburgh, and they had one at the OIC, Erie OIC. Yeah. And we each had a block of time during the day. And as a radio, com, art, speech communication major, uh, part of what we did is we programmed four hours a day from the Edinburgh Studios. Right out of Compton Hall, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's wow. where it was. So uh, we did that, and, um, and I, I always told tell Tom New from WQLN that that was the very first year of, of the radio station. Wow. And that Christmas, the Christmas of 73, 
they needed somebody to go to their main studios and fill in because all the colleges were closed. So I traipsed up to uh, what I thought was way out in the country where WQLN was, <laughs> back in the woods. The snow was about four feet deep. And I did a radio, uh, radio show from there. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. You think of, again, uh, people have to understand, and I guess there's probably parallels in other careers, but once you get that bug, whether you're going to be a nurse or a teacher or a radio or a broadcaster, it's like it just kind of takes you over. I got to tell you, since that day at Jet Radio, it's the only thing I've ever wanted to do. Wow. And if I would have had to have done something else, I have no clue what it would have been. Amazing. But uh, I was. Uh, had Did you always have the commanding vision. voice? Oh, I don't know. Uh, you I mean, know, did you ever take classes or deceive anybody? No, not anybody? really. No. I, again, just, uh, you know, in the early days working with just great mentors in the business. Jim Renshaw, if you mm. ever heard Jim, uh, he was excellent. Uh, if you ever heard a guy by the name of Bob Eaton, who back oh in the my day, goodness. what a set of pipes that guy yes. had. But yes. I worked with Bob at WRIE wow, when he sure. was there, yeah. too. And so uh, I just had a lot of great mentors along the way. And uh, and I think that's how you get good at anything, is hang around with people who are good at what you want to do. Do you, do you think that that's still a high value in broadcasting? Just ha having the gravitas just through voice in and of itself. Well, <clears throat> I think voice takes uh, f far more of a back seat these days. Yeah. You know, you hear people on the radio and, and on television news that don't have those legendary broadcasting voices like, mm -hmm. you know, they did back in the 60s, 70s, uh, even the 80s. And it becomes less of a factor. Whatever right. you have, you have. And, you know, you hear a lot of people, for example, on NPR mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, you can tell that they're journalists first and broadcasters second. That's yeah. Everybody's trying to sound like Ira Glass, I think. Exactly. These days. Yeah. <laughs> if you listen to That's podcasts, it's like they make the weird end. You know, the ending of their of their sentences. It's like oh, they're all trying to sound like Ira Glass. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a unique style that seems to be popular now. Lou Baxter is our is our guest here. Um, he is the recent uh, winner of the uh, the. PRSA, which is Public Relations uh, Society of America, Northwest Pennsylvania chapter, the Broadcast Journalist of the Year, and uh, congratulations on that. I also understand that you are uh, up for a Clifford Award from the Community Cup Charity. I mean, uh, how about that? That's amazing. It's been an interesting uh, year. Yeah. <laughs> yes, people are recognizing your contributions to broadcasting. At some point, you had to make the jump to television, so tell us a little bit about that. Well, I was WRIE as a uh, reporter. I was reporting five days a week and anchoring uh, some news on the weekends, and I had been there uh, three and a half, four years. Tell us a little bit about, like, again, in the, in the 70s, how many news people would be at a, a single AM radio station? <laughs> I mean... Well, back in those days, uh, just about every station had a news department. Jet Radio was the powerhouse news station forever in yeah. the market. And uh, we at WRIE were, were chomping at the bit to uh, become that uh, powerhouse as well. But then uh, other stations, WLKK at the time had a radio news guy. That's where uh, Dave Belmondo actually sure. got his start in the Erie market. And... Uh, 
Uh, I can't recall who well, else. Well, yeah, Gary Lonke over yeah, at K104. Gary and, Lonke and, you and know. Uh, there was... I mean, everybody yeah. had live news. Right. I mean, it was a thing. And uh, so that's what I was doing uh, one day in um, 1980 when I got a, a midnight phone call from John Evans, oh who I had worked with at WRIE, who had just recently gone to Jet. And he calls me after the show one night, and he says, hey, we have a reporter leaving, and John Kansas would like you to come and talk to him about the, the job here. Wow. So I, I went and I talked to him, and I, I didn't have a television audition tape, or I had never thought about going into television. I had actually had an offer once before for a station in Indiana, um, but I, I turned it down. And I stayed in radio because that's just what I thought I'd do. It sure. was it was my first love. But when uh, when they called and asked me to come apply, I went and talked to them. Uh, I put together an audition tape with their help, and I guess there was about a dozen candidates for the job, from what I heard. And uh, long story short, they they offered me the job, and so I started at Jet in September of 1980. Wow! And uh, I worked a year as a reporter on the street which was my first love. But then they wanted to uh, do Morning News Live. Back then during Good Morning America, the cut-ins were taped the night before. So you'd see Don Shriver at 11 o'clock, and then you'd see Don Shriver at 7.25 in the morning. Sure. Well, they decided they, uh, they wanted to do those live, so they asked me if I would come in. So I was actually the first live morning anchor on Jet, even though they were only you know five minute cut-ins, mm -hmm. and uh, and I did that for a year, and then they decided they wanted to uh, branch out and begin weekend news. See, back in 1980, we only had a half an hour show at six and eleven Monday through Friday. Yeah, that yeah. was it. Wow. Then we expanded to the morning thing, and then we expanded to weekends, and so I became the first weekend anchor. And I did that for a decade. I was on weekends right? for 10 years. Wow. And so how did that work? Did you like work like from Tuesday to, to Sunday? or? Yeah, I had... Uh, what was your weekend? I your had week? Thursdays and Fridays off. Oh, okay, so that's I'd work Saturday, was, yeah. Sunday, and then report Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah. And... Uh, after 10 years of doing that, you know, and, and that's yeah. the progression. You know, if you're a reporter, then obviously the move up is to become an anchor. Right. And uh, so when the anchor opportunity came, I took it. But after 10 years of doing it part-time with reporting part-time, mm -hmm. I, I concluded that I really loved the reporting. I sure. liked being on the street where the action was. And so I, I told them I, I'd like to, you know, step away from the weekend anchor. Give I have no interest in anchoring full-time. If you anchor full-time, you're getting up in the middle of the night to go to work to do the morning show, or you're working until midnight every night to do the, uh, you know, early and late evening news. People don't consider that, that, that those prime anchors at 6 and 11, their lives, as far as family lives, there are great sacrifices. Exactly. And that's that was my decision because uh, uh, we had four children wow. and, you know, wanting to have weekends free, not to get up in the middle of the night to go to work and not to be working late and, and you know, not being home when the kids are there was my, you know, primary decision. So I went back to reporting and I did that for another dozen years or so. Do you remember what your first package was? You know, it's funny. Somebody just asked me that the other day. Bob Sutherland had a sense of humor, and he was kind of a wacky guy. 
And uh, he actually, in September of 80, when the woolly bears started showing up to, to uh, he asked me to go out and interview a woolly bear. What the a heck ca- is A caterpillar. That? A woolly oh, bear is those okay. caterpillars that are black and brown. And <laughs> yes. based on how much black there is, you're supposed to be able to tell how bad the winter yes. is going to be. And so, yeah, I had a conversation with a woolly bear. I can tell you it was very much one-sided. <laughs> But uh, that was That's one of my uh, early assignments. And- what, what, what else? I mean, as far as like, uh, you know, early on, again, the 80s were tough times here in Erie, if I remember correctly. You know, uh, unemployment was super high. Inflation was high. Uh, th- those were not easy times. We had plants closing all the time. Uh, the, you know, there was a lot of serious news in the, in the 80s. Yeah, there right? was. And, and every day we did something different. I, you yeah. know, I can't tell you day to day what the what the big stories were but there were a few monumental stories throughout my career that yeah. certainly stand out uh in 1985 was the albion tornado uh, that was clearly a, a, a tragedy and one that you know as we see what's happening in kentucky and and down south uh, over the weekend it just sort of harkens back to you know what we all experienced here and and the reporting on that went on for weeks and weeks yes. and weeks as uh, Albion and the, and the community put itself back together. Uh, in the early 90s, I uh, had the fortune to travel to uh, Honolulu for the 50th anniversary of the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Wow. And the reason we just for— just celebrated the 80th. Yeah, I know. Incredible. So, you know, that was 30 years ago for yeah. me. And Pearl Harbor Day happens to be my daughter's birthday, so I missed her 13th birthday for that assignment. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, we followed a couple of Pearl Harbor survivors from Erie Mm. back to that celebration. And it was the first time they had been back since the war. And one of those Pearl Harbor survivors happened to be Tom DeVecchio's father-in-law. Really? So, you know, we had uh, great access to them and... And we followed them as they revisited the site, and uh, there were ceremonies. And, you know, that was an, uh, an assignment that, you know, you never forget. What, what, what seems to uh, – I mean, do, do you – when you have to get through some of the really hard times, people really going through – uh, heavily emotions. I mean, we've had we've had kids kidnapped and killed. We've had uh, you know horrible fires. I mean, that, that you know, I mean, just a couple mm-hmm. of years back. Sure. I mean, how do you maintain professionalism while maintaining your heart? Right. I, I think you have to be uh, good at compartmentalizing things. Um, you know, uh, you, you certainly never lose your heart. You never want to lose your sensitivity, and and you don't want to be that crusty guy where nothing affects you. Uh, literally everything affects me, but I'm able to put it in a box and put it over here for now while I do what I need to do in terms of talking to people. And, you know, and, and one of the most difficult things that we do is we talk to people at the worst times of their lives. We have to go knock on doors after somebody in their family has been killed. Uh, We have to go to the scene of a fire uh, before it's out and try to talk to people who have just lost their home because, uh, you know, emotion is the key to great storytelling. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
that's what we do. And uh, so it, it's difficult. You have to get used to that. I got used to that in my internship in 1976. I actually interned at the Erie Morning News oh, wow. uh, when I wasn't sure whether I was going to go print or broadcast yeah. still. I thought, ah, let me try this. So I, I went to uh, Erie Morning News. I w- worked with Larry Pintia, wow. uh, Jeff Pinsky, and the whole, whole gang down there. But on my very first night as an intern, Somebody had been stabbed to death in the projects at 10th oh, and Tacoma. Larry Pentia looks at me, the intern, and he says, go over there and knock on the door and ask for a picture of the victim. <laughs> Are you for real? I am for real. And uh, I, you know, I did what I was told. I got in one of those little Red Times news cars, and I drove over to 10th and Tacoma, and I knocked on the door, and I, I asked for a picture. And that was sort of being... You know, thrown in, tested by fire, uh, right from the get-go, uh, because you know that's what we do. When you see a picture of somebody in the newspaper yes. back then, that this would have been 1976. Right. How, how did they get it? Well, somebody had to go and ask for it. Wow! Little did you know, it was the intern. <laughs> <laughs> Lou, um, you recently. Okay, you said you're retiring, but you're still pretty active. So tell us what your status is right now. Well, I retired as the news director. Okay. Okay, so I'm no longer uh, really part of the news department officially, uh, although I still do some segments on our news. Uh, We've had some long-running popular segments. uh, For example, the Golden Apple Award. We've been honoring teachers for 31 years. That's amazing. Uh, Probably the longest-running, you know, local television franchise in, in, in eerie history right uh but uh so uh, i i continue to do that on a weekly basis i i also do our loving giving local uh franchise segment which uh you know uh, joe askins uh, goes around and gives 250 dollars away mm. each week and what that allows us to do is spotlight a nonprofit, give them some uh some time in the sunshine so we can tell their story if they have an upcoming event we can promote that but it really helps people understand what these various nonprofits do because uh, some of them you've never heard of before and we're sure. going there and and giving them some money and finding out uh just what it is that they do and uh, I also do some health reporting still, and uh, we'll continue to do that. And then I'm I'm engaging with both the uh, uh, produ- production and, and sales departments on some other projects as as needed. So that's enough to keep me busy. That sounds like it. Uh, there's been so much change in broadcasting. I I remember. Um... You know, you mentioned my my blog from back in the the late aughts, if you will. I think I started in late of 2008 after the passing of Jack Tirac, who had a blog in the middle uh, of the 2000s. And the big thing back then was digital television, DTV. And, you know, these stations are going to have to turn off their analog transmitters and turn on a digital one. That that was probably the biggest deal for Jet TV and all the TV stations in the market in, since the beginning of television. Huge. Other than, you know, going from black and white to color. There you go, yeah. Uh, which was another big transition. Uh, this was a big deal. It cost every television station in Erie well over a million dollars. Oh, my. And uh, it was right before that transition that uh, uh, Jet Broadcasting, Myron Jones and John Kansas, sold the television stations to the current owner, who I work for, Star Broadcasting. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so it was. They, they saw the writing on the wall that it was going to take some deep pockets to make this transition, and uh, 
So instead of doing that, they sold the station, and uh, that became Nexstar's task, and and they did that, and and it was uh, it was difficult. It, yeah. it, there was some reeducation among people who, you know, had a different kind of television set, and and they had to figure out how to get the stations now, and uh, you know. You know the the television stations changed in how they look, or the TVs themselves. Right. So uh, there was just a lot going on, and it, it it took multiple years to to make that all happen. Did that Did that change how you guys did uh, electronic news gathering too? Well, it changed in the in the fact that we had to get all different equipment. We right. had to get different cameras. Uh, we had cameras that shot four by three. We had mm. to get cameras that shot sixteen by nine, and we did that. And then we went from from digital to high definition so then we had to get cameras that shot in hd so i mean one transition followed the other so in a period of three or four years uh, there was just a lot of money invested in order to make television as good as it can be in erie and now everybody wants to be able to watch jet and and the stations on their phones on their tablets uh, I mean, you should see my mom. My mom is 93 years old, and she will watch, you know, um, uh, who is it, Brian, on, on uh, Saturday nights, you yeah, know? Brian uh, well, uh, yeah, Brian. She, she has the she has the iPad, uh-huh. and that's how she watches on the Spectrum app yep. on the iPad, yep. and that's how she watches Brian's local news. Yeah, and that's uh, just the way it is. We, we knew long ago that people were actually watching televisions – Uh, with multiple screens they were either watching tv and scrolling on their phones doing something else or they were watching on their phone one one station uh, watching something else on on their television sets so uh multiple screens and digital is where it's at and and that's the future of this industry and uh, you know our company is investing heavily in that uh, YourErie.com is becoming as significant to us as Jet24 really? and Fox66 is. Wow. Um, and, you know, we've been dominant in the news area uh, on television for a long time now. And, you know, it's our goal to become as dominant uh, on the digital platforms as well and to, of course, monetize that uh, along the way. So uh, you have to what comes with this kind of social flattening, if you will, of media is now it's it's you know it used to be that you want if you wanted to talk to the news director to complain about something you had to kind of go through the the phone system and all that stuff and it might be a couple generations now you can fire off a comment on the story on your Facebook page and sometimes that Facebook page uh, not just yours but everybody's uh, go eerie and and uh, you know eerie news now I mean they're all it's like can be a cesspool sometimes it can be and it takes constant monitoring so wow. that things so you there, have to hire somebody to monitor absolutely if, if you're gonna you know get into that game you've gotta you got to do it right and you just can't let uh, you know any comment uh, stay there for very long. So obviously we do our best to monitor all of the comments, but you know that's what social is all about. It's all about a, a free exchange of ideas, whether you like them or not, uh, whether they're rational or not. Uh, we just want it to be clean and and mm-hmm. not incendiary, and uh, and uh, so we uh, we monitor that, but we very rarely censor anyone. Yeah. 
Do you, have you jumped into the Twitter game or have a lot of your younger colleagues done yeah, that? The, the, you know, the, the young people coming into the newsroom bring all these great ideas. Yeah. They know the technology. They know the social uh, media world, and they're very active in it. You know, uh, the old guys, myself, uh, maybe Belmondo. Uh, you know, I, I doubt Belmondo's on Twitter much. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, we're all expected to do a little bit of that. Yeah. And, and again, you know, that's that's how you communicate with, with your audience. And, what, what's uh, tough, uh, again, as a news watcher is to see – and again, I, 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 I see these big, huge conglomerates taking advantage of the content. So here's Lou Baxter. He spends three hours on a story. You, you're making your package four, you know, three minute, four minute package. You guys post it uh, on the website. It also gets posted on social. You know who's making the most money out of that gig is Zuckerberg. And it just, I, I, I just, it, it, it's gonna, it's gonna come to a head one of these days that YouTube and and Facebook are really making a, a lot more money off of your content. Yeah, we we. Uh... We kind of uh, focus our attention on our own website, yourerie.com. Sure. Uh, we do th some things on social, but that isn't our priority. Okay. Uh, we like to have a presence there, but we can't monetize that. Uh, right. So we uh, put our eggs in the basket that we can monetize, and that would be our own website and, and television stations. So uh, uh, Zuckerberg may be making some money somewhere, but n not, not any more than he has to from, from us. Uh, okay, so you, you've you've been you've been chronicling Erie for you know forty plus years, right? What what where is Erie at in your opinion, Lou Baxter? Well, I'm pretty excited about things that are going on. You know, it's disappointing when you know GE goes south the way it did, and it was such a big presence in Erie. But yeah. there is so much going on that you know if if you you don't have your finger on on everything. You, you, it could pass you by, and and you don't realize that all these little things you read about, hear about, see on television, they all add up to a, yeah. a lot of jobs. The nature of the jobs have, have changed. We've become much more of a high-tech uh, uh, community than we used to be, a lot of medical uh, opportunities here, and uh, higher edu education as well. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of things going on. Erie Insurance, of course, is, is growing like uh, gangbusters. And, and we're happy about all those things. And now you see the, the development that's going on downtown. I couldn't be more excited about what the EDDC is doing and the fact that they're doing it with private dollars. They're doing it with their own money. You right. Know? Um, and it was, it was really the leaders of downtown uh, business that stepped up and said, this is a good thing. We're going to invest our money into, in, into these projects. And, uh, you know, it, I think it's just an exciting time to, to see what's happening. So I'm very, you know, very bullish on, on what's going on. Uh, all of the changes on the Bayfront, mm. uh, that's exciting. Um, you know, and everybody's got their opinion one way or the other. Right. Uh, but uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm excited to see all of uh, what's happening there, whether it's uh, private dollars like uh, – you know, many of the uh, people down on the Bayfront, uh, Scott Enterprises and others that right. invest their money, or whether it's the uh, it's the market house that the Convention Center Authority is talking about. Do you uh, do you get a sense that at some point Erie will uh, kind of rise to the occasion so that our children will be able to stay? 
Well, I guess it all depends on what their interests are and whether yeah. they uh, are interested in work that's here. Yes. You know? uh, obviously, back in the 70s, when I, I graduated from high school, most of my friends went to work at General Electric, yes. build transit cars and, and uh, locomotives and other things mm-hmm. that they were doing in the 70s. And, uh, you know, I didn't. I, I, I did something else. But uh, we both found work that was here. Uh, others became plumbers and electricians, but you know, if if you're looking for work that isn't here, you're gonna you're going to have to go elsewhere. But I think there is a lot of opportunity here, and right now, because of the pandemic, there seems to be way more opportunity than people willing to step up and and work. It's amazing. Uh, it's a, an interesting dynamic right now. Everybody's having a hard time hiring people, mm-hmm. and and for all sorts of industrial jobs uh, business jobs uh you know schools you, you have any uh mmj jobs we, up there we have jobs all the time <laughs> Do you so really? yeah yeah so, wow. and it is even in our industry it is becoming more and more difficult to uh, recruit uh, and that's not just locally but it's a it's a national issue i i think your story is is a a, a strong template for where erie can go because you were you were invested in Erie. You you got you got your roots in quickly. And at what you know, I mean, I'm sure you got offers for gigs. You know, I, I did, and and it goes back to the fact that you know I grew up here. Uh, I had a family, and uh, one of the most tragic times in my life is is I, I grew up in Erie, uh, but before that we lived uh, in New Jersey for five years. I was born in Oil City, lived there till I was five. We moved to New Jersey till I was 10, and then we moved to Erie when I was 10. When we left New Jersey, and I left all my friends. That was the most tragic thing in my life at that yeah. point, you know. And I just thought that is that was a terrible experience, and so I just thought I don't want to drag my kids all over the country uh, to climb that ladder That's if I it. don't have to. That's it. Uh, I left that door open, and I had opportunities to go elsewhere. But uh, I thank the good Lord that all the doors and windows opened at the right time for me to be able to move up vertically within within my own company. Within your and, company. Uh, and, and again, there's a lot to be said for um, the quality of your ownership when you were coming up and the quality of ownership now. Absolutely. And yeah. and I've been very fortunate. I've, I worked for Art Arcalian. I worked for Brady Lewis. Mm. I worked for Myron Jones and John Kansas. You know, it, it really doesn't get any better than that. And, and now I work for Nexstar Broadcasting, which is a big company. Perry Sook is the chairman and mm. CEO. But, you know, Perry was a local guy at one time. Yeah. He you know, he taught at Edinburgh University and now he's the chairman of the largest broadcasting company in the United States. That's remarkable. Yeah. And so uh, when Nextar Broadcasting acquired Jet TV, we were like the fourth station of now 200 stations wow. around the country. Uh, the the press in general, again, you know, everybody loves their local, and they like to beat up on the national. Mm-hmm. But uh, do you do you feel that uh, uh, in general that the the that the press can do better to um, improve its image in the public's eye? Well, we can always do better, and. Uh, most of the criticism is always uh, leveled against the national news media. Sure. And, you know, and we all get painted with this brush, 
you know, unfortunately, uh, that paint job is really targeted at the cable news networks. That's true. And, and that's who people have the most disdain with. And unfortunately, we get hit in the face with that brush every once in a while, you know, uh, as do the major networks. I think the major networks, by and large, do a pretty good job uh, of, of attempting to play it down the middle as, mm -hmm. as much as they can. Um, I don't think the cable news networks necessarily do that. Although I, I don't will, think that's their that's their business plan no, to do it that way. No, yeah. I, I, you know, obviously Fox is very you know to the right. CNN's very much to the left. MSNBC. Um, I will tell you, News Nation is right down the middle. Uh, it's this not is a as, new deal. Now, is this is this Nextstar's deal? Yeah, it's owned okay. and, uh, by Nextstar, and it's a national uh, cable network. And wow. uh, and it has been uh, it, first of all, it's the fastest growing c cable network news, and it's been um, you know surveyed and and judged to be as unbiased as as can be. It's it is right down the middle in terms of. Uh, taking sides and not taking sides. Gotcha. So, uh, but uh, you know, locally, uh, we get complaints once in a while, and but again, they're they're generally people who are disgruntled with what they're seeing on on cable news, and they right. say, "What what can you do about that?" I I, I took an email from somebody the other day, uh, upset with uh, ABC, and what could I do about that? And I said, well, and he works for a car dealer. I said, that would be like asking a car salesman what they can do about the color choices of the new Ford Explorers. <laughs> I mean, I have no voice. That's <laughs> right. <with> ABC. <laughs> Harvest Gold. Harvest yes, Gold. Right. <laughs> wow. Um, is, there, is there a theme that you feel like uh, you have tried to live your broadcast career under? Well, I, I just went in every day with uh, anxious anticipation, excited to see what we were going to do for the day. That's the thing about our industry is we start from scratch every morning. Yeah. Uh, we have a blank slate. We have to enterprise and create story ideas. We have to keep track of what's going on in the community. We have to talk to people to find out what's happening and decide what matters and uh, from all of that, create a smorgasbord of opportunity and then uh, create a newscast from that every night at, at 5 and 6 o'clock. And as a reporter, I just went in with some ideas on things that we could do, uh, something that maybe I felt was important. And other days, I just brought something to the table I thought was interesting. It may not be important at all, but it's So you you were making the pitches. Oh yeah, I that that's what Th that's all the reporters cool. are, are expected to do every day is come to the table with story ideas and and opportunities and uh, so uh you know that's what I did and then as news director uh, I was the guy that once the smorgasbord table was full, <laughs> char char what is that called, Shaney? Char charcuterie board. Charcuterie yeah. board. <laughs> <laughs> I I had to decide what we had the time and the resources yeah. to, to do that day and what was most important. So and and and, and again, uh, it's all about. In the end, you want that viewer to have a better understanding of the world around them, the community around Absolutely. Them. We want to tell um, all sides of every story. There's, um, you know, 
not just both sides, but all sides, because sometimes there's more than two sides sure. to the story. And we want to listen to everybody and uh, have the opportunity for for people to weigh in on a, on a particular story. And some stories lend themselves to that. Other stories don't. When you're doing a profile piece or a feature story, mm-hmm. uh, there's only that guy's story sure. or this woman's story, and, and that's what we want to hear. But when you're doing a, a piece that affects, you know, uh, your pocketbook and taxes and what your government leaders are doing, then there's people that, you know, have a, have a say so. And so we like to hear all those voices. Do you, uh, again, you were given a shot on the radio when you were 17. Mm-hmm. You were given a shot on television when you were in uh, your early 25, 20s, 25, 25 years yeah. old. Mm-hmm. Um, are the, and again, we see a lot of kids coming up. Mm-hmm. But they, they, most of them leave unless they're grounded in Erie. Uh, do you think that Erie can become more sticky for broadcast journalists? Well, it could because we're we're kind of getting this scene, the the senior moment here yeah. with all the with some of the guys. Exactly, you know? and you know the dynamics of the industry have changed. The economics of the industry have changed, and. Uh, I don't know how possible that is. As I tell people, you know, the stars have to all come in alignment for people to get hired as a reporter and then to move up to anchor and then, you know, to progress salary-wise as an anchor to to be able to stay in one place for very long. Uh, The trajectory of most people in this business now is to go from a small market to a bigger market to a large market and then maybe someday to to the network if that's what their dreams and goals are. Being able to stay in one market for your entire career, let alone, you know, one television station like like I did, Um, you know, I am a rare bird amongst all uh, news directors uh, in the country. Because most of them have been at uh, six or eight different places, wow, so I wow. I count myself as very fortunate to have been able to, you know, do that. I mean, when you think about it, there's two news directors in Erie. There's only two of what I did, right? Uh, two jobs available. <laughs> well, I, I tell and, you, uh, uh, picking Sean was a was a that was a strong uh, strong that, move. That was a great move, and I'm glad um, he stepped up and had interest and. In, uh, uh, the television stations and uh, the web couldn't be in any better hands. Uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think of how this is going to work after the you know after the boomers start really fading out. You know, um, will there be those? We always joke that we skip the the Xers, but will there be the millennials? You know, will there be the millennials to kind of take the realm and and be that solid presence on television? Yeah, I think I think things are changing within the industry now, where uh, they're seeing the need to uh, change the salary structures okay. so that retention uh, is possible. Because I think they're seeing what all of those of us in management have seen, and that is it's been hard to hang on to people. Sure. Uh, because uh, the pay structure just wasn't there. They can't make enough money fast enough to, you know. But uh, somehow exist. we had it figured out 20 years ago. We did. Because, you know. I mean, again, Sean wouldn't have been here still. If we hadn't figured it out, you know, Lisa Adams wouldn't have been here. You wouldn't have been. I mean, I think about the stalwarts in the industry in Erie. They they're all they they all stayed because they were they were paid as 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 end degree professionals. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I make right. Right. And I I don't know, uh, you know, what the dynamic was that changed. Uh, Obviously, we had. 
uh, local owners then. We go to corporate owners. They think differently. Sure. They have different, you know, motivations than maybe uh, those owners that were from here. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that could be it. But, you know, like I said, I think uh, nationally I, I see all of the uh, broadcast companies coming to uh, the conclusion that they need to make some changes in order to, to retain great talent uh, because Erie has been a market where we've been able to retain people. That's it. Um, there's always, uh, like I say, uh, you know, there's there's a certain group that come here, they stay here, they're never going to leave, period. Then there's another group that they come here, they do their two years, and, and, they're, and they're gone. gone yeah. And uh, there will probably always be a little bit of that. Uh, sure. Because uh, some people may not want to, you know, uh, make this their permanent home. Right. But a lot of people who didn't did. And those of us that uh, always loved Erie uh, were able to stay here. Some it's of amazing. us, yeah. It's it's a it's a new world. Uh, you you've seen all the change, Lou. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's it's incredible. A, it is an incredibly uh, exciting time in the business. Uh, it's uh, lots going on with technology and uh, and uh, with people uh, just. Uh, thinking about whether this is the kind of career that they want to be in, and it's. So much of it is confused for journalists um, mm. by social media, and That's it. Uh, you know, there's there's the legitimate journalists and the professional journalists, and then there's the social media uh, <laughs> yes. world journalist of sorts. <laughs> We're gonna have to leave it there. What what a great time to get caught up it's with been you. Great, thank you so yeah. so much. You've been listening to the Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast from TalkErie.com. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcatcher and get involved by emailing joel at TalkErie.com.